This is Connected to Chicago with Bill Cameron. What's going on in Chicago? What the hell is going on? Covering the big ideas. If you do not feel well, for God's sake, stay home. Save lives. The tough choices. Guacamole? No, I like guacamole. And the only three ways a Chicago alderman leaves the city council. The ballot box, the jury box, or the pine box. Now, Bill Cameron. Dick Durbin is here. He's the senior senator from Illinois, also the whip of Democrats in the Senate and the chairman of the very important Judiciary Committee. Dick, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Bill. You uh, senators did some heavy lifting recently, a trillion-dollar-plus infrastructure bill. Let's begin in layman's terms to tell folks what's in it for Illinois if the House passes this bill. There's a lot of resources coming our way. Uh, it's a bipartisan bill. Uh, it passed with a healthy, strong, bipartisan vote on the floor of the Senate after literally months of uh, bipartisan effort. I, I know all the senators who were engaged in it. I was uh, observing it uh, from a, a close vantage point. They made compromises and sacrifices back and forth, just what we're hired to do uh, in the United States Senate. And for Illinois, give us an idea of what would be coming. What kind of projects? Well, first think of highways being repaired and built, bridges being inspected and repaired where necessary. Uh, then think about transit. It's the largest amount for transit, which would be, of course, CTA and RTA and Metra and all of the bus services across the state. It's the largest investment ever uh, in transit. I called the mayor and said, good news coming. We're going to have some brand-new stations, extension, I hope, of the uh, red line, which has been promised for uh, generations. Uh, and we're going to be uh, working with uh, Tammy Duckworth's uh, specific uh, allotment for access for the disabled. She really is leading the national effort in that. Uh, more money for Amtrak than any time since its creation. Uh, across the board, money for airports, uh, ports, uh, locks and dams. It is the whole package, and I'm so proud that we're going to be creating good jobs and infrastructure that will make this economy hum. And what's in there for broadband? Broadband, if you're a student of history, you know that sometime in the late 30s, 1940s, Franklin Roosevelt said it's time for us to hook up America to electricity. And we took electricity to parts of America that had never been uh, had any access to it, primarily in rural areas. We want to do the same with broadband. We think broadband is just as essential. And when you do consumer surveys and ask people to prioritize between access to drinking water, electricity, and broadband, uh, 60 or 70 percent put broadband high up on the list. And you think, well, it's become a critical part of life for students, for health care, certainly to keep and attract new businesses. So we're expanding broad broadband in a way that has never happened before. And is it expanding? Uh, is it the plan to make it Wi-Fi available everywhere in Illinois? That's my goal. Uh, I think that's why I was elected. Now, there are two aspects. It's not only to have it available, but to have it affordable uh, so that people have access to a laptop that uh, has access to the Internet uh, for their kids, for themselves. So it's a two-step process, and we, we've embarked on it with billions of dollars in this bill. Uh, we need to put more into it, which would be in the reconciliation bill, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about. Yeah, that's coming up next. You also passed a budget resolution. Now, this is not the passing of the budget itself, 
but the intent to go past three and a half trillion T for trillion dollars of spending in the next fiscal year. What's in this budget? Well, let me say before we get into specifics, and I'm anxious to do that, uh, this is paid for. And it's paid for by increasing the tax responsibility of the wealthiest in America. Uh, Joe Biden has drawn the line. If you're making over $400,000 a year, you'll see your taxes going up. Uh, And you'll also see corporations that are escaping tax liability uh, paying their fair share. So we pay for the whole package. Uh, It is not being added to the deficit. Uh, And that's the first point I want to make. The second thing I want to tell you is that we go after things that make a difference. Tax breaks for working families, the largest tax break package in history. Uh, We start with the assistance we're currently giving to families with children, and we expand it to other working families as well. Secondly, we cut the cost of some things that are just essential to family life, uh, child care, to make sure that uh, there's two additional uh, years of caring for your kids before pre-K. So on the the first stages of life, these kids have a fighting chance uh, to develop learning skills that will benefit them the rest of their lives. And then two additional years after the 12th grade. For the longest time, you know this as well as I do, Bill, we said K through 12. That's our government's responsibility. It isn't enough not to train our workers, our women and men, to have the best jobs and best-paying jobs in the 21st century. So Joe Biden says expand uh, higher education to include two years with no debt to go to community colleges and uh, similar colleges that offer these programs. Now, are you sure it's paid for down the 10 years? I saw the GAO, saw some reporting of the GAO saying that actually will cost some additional funds down the road. Is that true or false? I, I'll trust their judgment on it, although there, there's debate on some of those aspects. But our goal uh, through the tax code uh, calling on the people who are in the highest income categories and corporations that are not paying their fair share of taxes to pay for this all the way. There's one other aspect of this, Bill, I want to get into because I I started in political business with a fellow named Paul Simon and Paul Douglas, the senators before me, and they talked about the great Medicare program for our senior citizens and said we have to expand that program uh, to include three things that are not in it, uh, dental care, eyeglasses, and hearing aids not covered by Medicare. And so what we want to do is expand into those categories as well so that essential medical services are available to our seniors. Now, how confident are you you can soak the rich to help pay for this? I'm confident. Uh, We took a look at the Trump tax cuts four years ago where he gave tax cuts to wealthy people and corporations uh, and said we're going to undo most of those so that at the highest end of the categories, 83% of his benefits went to the top 1% of Americans. At the highest end of that category, they're going to be paying basically the same rate they paid before Trump. And the money's going to go back invested in America. Child care, family and medical leave, extending education through K through 14 now, uh, and also making certain that there are changes in Medicare to make a difference. Now, the far left over in the House, I've read, is threatening to hold the infrastructure bill hostage until you guys pass the $3.5 trillion in spending. What do you think of that threat? Well, that's going to be in Nancy Pelosi's hands now, and uh, I trust her judgment on how to reach the goal. I understand the sentiments that they share. 
The reconciliation uh, bill uh, is a partisan effort. There will be no Republican support in the Senate that I know of, unfortunately. Uh, And I wanted to say that we have to work in our own party to come up with a compromise that is fiscally responsible and yet transforms America, as Joe Biden envisions it, to a much more productive uh, and fair economy. Do you think that the lefties could want more spending that you might have to approve? I don't know. I think we're at our limit in terms of the Democratic caucus. In fact, there's uh, one or two colleagues, and we need all 50 to get this done. There are one or two colleagues who say we want to come down from $3.5 trillion to a lower number. I don't know what that number is or what we would have to sacrifice to reach it, but we have to get the job done, and that means listening to their concerns. We should talk about a couple of things in the Senate which really get in the way of getting things done, the filibuster and the holds. Why not just get rid of the filibuster? You know, there are moments when I desperately want to do that. Uh, The DREAM Act, which I introduced 20 years ago, is to say that kids and infants brought to this country uh, growing up here ought to have a chance to become legal and ultimately citizens. I've been stopped five times on the floor of the Senate by the filibuster. How frustrating that is. The hundreds of thousands of these dynamic, contributing young people have been stopped by the filibuster. And I think about that all the time. Uh, The other side of that coin is I've used the filibuster, the requirement of 60 votes, when I thought, for example, that people were pushing for things which might endanger our drinking water. And we needed to have a good environmental standard to keep our drinking water safe. I've used the filibuster. So I would tell you on balance, I'd like to see it gone, but you have to replace it with a set of rules that work for the Senate that still respect respect the minority, uh, but don't allow them with these secret holds and other things uh, to bring the Senate to a halt. And why not get rid of the holds, the ability of her to hold up things like nominations, of which there are more than a thousand, that the president has to come to your chamber for uh, approval? Why not get rid of that? I agree with you. I'm with you. Think about this. The head of the U.S. Marshal Service now is sitting on the Senate calendar because one Republican senator, he said this publicly on the floor, will not give him permission to lead the U.S. Marshal's office, which we we absolutely need across this country, because that senator has not received a letter, a reply letter to a request for information from the Department of Justice. And I said to him, for goodness sakes, could you pick something else? other than the agency that is responsible for uh, hunting out fugitives, moving prisoners safely, protecting our judges and our courts and their families? Nope. Until I get this letter answered, I'm not going to let this person be on there. And I'm thinking, you know, that's just wrong. That's a misuse of any Senate authority we have. But senators are not going to give up that power, are they? Well, I think they just might. You know, I'll be honest with you. I think there may be a growing sentiment that this has to come to an end. And what's even worse, Bill, than the uh, example I gave you, this senator at least uh, had the chutzpah to come to the floor of the Senate and announce, until I get my letter answered, there'll be no head of the U.S. Marshal Service. There are some people who hide in the shadows, won't even dis- disclose who they are who are putting these holds on. That is no way to run a railroad or a Senate. We're talking issues with Dick Durbin. Uh, Dick, tell folks who Jeffrey Rosen is and why he's so important to your committee's investigation of Trump. Jeff Rosen is a big surprise. Uh, He was chosen as deputy attorney general, and most of us were skeptical of that uh, because he didn't have a background in it. He had worked for another federal agency 
but he just didn't seem to have the experience to head up deputy attorney general. Well, he, he won that nomination. I voted against him, but he won that nomination. And then he was promoted to attorney general when Bill Barr resigned in December of 2020. Uh, Barr, if you remember, announced that the president uh, was mistaken, that there was virtually no fraud in the last election, and then resigned his post. So Rosen stepped in. Deputy Attorney General moves on up to the Attorney General spot. And a lot of us were worried, is this man, does he have the chops to stand up to President Trump if he makes outrageous requests? Well, evidence to date suggests that he did a pretty good job of it. He stood up and said to the president, I will not do what you're telling me to do, uh, contacting the uh, election officials in Georgia and announcing that uh, the election was corrupt in Georgia. He said, I don't see any evidence of it. He had the backing of 50 different lawsuits by Trump that had been thrown out of court. And he just wasn't going to uh, do what the president said. The president then sent the word, well, we'll replace you. He said, do that if you wish, but I'm not going to give in on this. I believe it's a matter of principle. And then all the attorneys in the Department of Justice lined up behind Rosen and said to the president, if you fire him, we're leaving. We're just going to have we're going to empty out the Department of Justice overnight if you put that kind of political pressure on. So Rosen, you know, at least to, to date, has a pretty good story. And he came before our committee, interviewed on a bipartisan basis by the staff. Uh, I, I feel pretty positive toward him. I know you can't quote him in his under oath testimony, but can you give us a general idea of what the testimony establishes? Well, just the threat that I mentioned, uh, the Trump White House said to him, you either do our bidding or you're gone. Then they named the person, uh, Jeffrey Clark, who was uh, in the Department of Justice, who would replace him, and said, you have several days to change your mind. He didn't do it. Uh, I commend him for standing on principle and saying to this president, uh, as he started promulgating this big lie, I'm just not going to be party to it. The census is out. It indicates uh, Chicago population up a little bit, most downstate counties down. What is the political impact going to be on reapportionment of the congressional districts, do you think? In the past 40 years, we've seen this virtually every 10 years with the census. Illinois has lost one or two congressional seats. Uh, it's happening to many states. It's certainly happening to ours. There are a dozen different explanations for it. Uh, we will have a smaller delegation by one. I think that's the ultimate outcome here. I'm not sure where it will go. It will reflect uh, perhaps where the population trends have gone. Uh, the areas of the state that have lost population will see uh, fewer congressional districts. I wish that wasn't happening, but uh, we'll make the best of it. Do you, do you have an idea politically, in addition to where the population is way down, at who should lose their seat? I mean, is it Kinziger? Is it will you tell me? I don't know the answer. It is decided by the General Assembly and the governor. Uh, and once they get the census data, they have to draw up uh, virtually identical populations in congressional districts with very few variations. Where you draw the line makes all the difference in the world. Uh, if you no reason you'd remember this, but I finally won a congressional seat. When the Democrats drew a map downstate that I could win on and beat an incumbent Republican, 10 years later, table turned, former uh, Speaker of the House, Denny Hastert, drew a Republican map and tried to take me out. Uh, he didn't achieve that goal. I moved on to the Senate shortly thereafter. 
But I've seen this redistricting or gerrymandering, if you wish to call it that, uh, occur on both sides, Democrats and Republicans. There's talk about reform of that nationwide. I support it nationwide. But for one or two states to do it is basically to create a disadvantage for those states in the future. Uh, I, I think if we did it nationally, it would be a good thing. The scourge of gun violence continues. It recently uh, claimed the life of a Chicago police officer and really, really injured her partner. Any new approaches to this problem in Washington that stand a chance of passing? I'll tell you one, and it's, it, it may sound like a small one until I describe it. Officer French lost her life and her partner is fighting for his life in the hospital uh, because of a straw purchase. That means that a person walked into a gun dealer in uh, northwestern Indiana, and this person had no criminal record, so they easily passed the background check. They were buying a gun to sell it to a person with a felony conviction who was disqualified from buying guns on his own, and that's what happened. It happened months ago, and that gun eventually ended up uh, unfortunately killing the wonderful police officer, French, and, and seriously injuring her, her, her partner in the process. Now, when you get down to the bottom line, you say, well, that person, we caught him. They did the straw purchase. It's viewed in the federal law as a paperwork violation to lie about whether you're buying this gun for yourself or to give to someone else with a felony conviction. A paperwork violation. Eight months uh, is a, a common sentence for this, and I think that's outrageous. The person, the straw purchaser, should be held responsible for what happened to that gun, and they knowingly sell it to a person with a felony conviction. That is as serious as driving a getaway car, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I hope I have a bill. I've had it for years. Maybe now we have some momentum to put real penalties behind straw purchases. And, of course, the pandemic is something else that continues, with the Delta variant being maybe worse than the original uh, is there something we ought to be doing to make the unvaccinated get vaccinated, maybe threaten to delay their hospital care, put them at the back of the line as others who did get vaccinated and have, have other diseases make room for them as these hospitals, especially in the South, are so overcrowded they can't uh, help everybody? Well, I'm frustrated and, and, and in one respect angry uh, that these people are refusing vaccinations when that's the only way out of this pandemic, truly out of this pandemic. We're now debating whether kids wear masks in schools and whether to open schools and whether this event or that event is healthy or safe. Uh, this is only going to come to an end when more Americans step up to their personal responsibility to get vaccinated for themselves, for their families, for everyone else. Uh, and I'm frustrated by it. I commend the governor for the way he's handled this, the mayor as well. I may not have agreed with any specific decision that they announced, but I know they were all in good faith effort to do their very best from a public health viewpoint. Uh, I, I just say this as a bottom line, Bill. I think the notion that we're going to have a federal mandate for this is not realistic. What we're seeing is that individual agencies of the government and individual corporations are starting to announce their own programs to require employees to be vaccinated. I support those individual decisions, and I hope more of them come around. Dick, you're, uh, I'm retiring, and you're on my last interview, and I thought it would be a good time for us during our watch of half a century to look back on Illinois politics and see if anything's really changed. I mean, I came on the beat in 1970. 
you were with Paul Douglas, God knows when, probably back in the 60s. What's, what jumps out at you as the biggest changes that have happened in Illinois politics in this period? Dramatic increase in the cost of campaigns has really changed the business. Uh, secret money, dark money, uh, being spent millions and millions of dollars of it. We don't know uh, any uh, specific source for it. That is troubling, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it is. It continues to be a great opportunity to make life better for the people that you represent, uh, but it also is a, a real challenge when it comes to your family and personal life, uh, some of the things that have happened in the style of campaigning. I, I remember my very first campaign as a college student. Paul Douglas was running against Chuck Percy, 1966, uh, somewhere near the 1st of September, Chuck Percy's uh, daughter was murdered in her in his home in his home, I believe it was in Kenilworth, uh, and it, Douglas announced, "I am suspending my campaign. I'm not going to campaign at all until Chuck Percy is ready. He's gone through this family tragedy." There were all sorts of people coming to Douglas with all these theories of what really happened to his daughter. Douglas said, "I'll have no part of that. This is a personal thing." Uh, politicians should not be dabbling in it. I'm going to stand on the sidelines until Percy says he's ready to start the campaign again. It was a noble thing to do. It showed character on the part of Douglas. He lost the election, but he held his head high. Those were the days when people respected one another's families and individuals. Uh, some of the personal and, and mean campaigning we see today was just not even considered possible, let alone acceptable. Uh, I'm sorry we've lost that. And we should talk about the Velvet Hammer, Mike Madigan, of all people, being forced out as Speaker of the House after, you know, 40-some years. Um, how big a surprise was that for you? And, of course, you played a part in suggesting that he should step aside. At the end of the last election, I took a look downstate at one of the races, Betsy Landrigan, running against incumbent Rodney Davis. I saw uh, Rodney Davis's ads. He wasn't running against Betsy Landrigan. He was running against Mike Madigan. Uh, when it was all over, I suggested it's time for Mike Madigan to step aside as chair of the party. Uh, Tammy Duckworth went a step um, forward more and said he should leave the speaker as well. Uh, and basically, then the decision was made by the Illinois House for that to happen. Madigan, I think, holds the record of the longest service as a legislative leader in the history of our country. But he had reached the point where he had become the issue in the campaigns uh, across the state. Uh, and the Illinois Democrats in the House ultimately decided to turn to Chris Welch and ask him to be the speaker. Uh, it was a stunning uh, outcome. I didn't envision it the day after the election when I talked about his party chairmanship. But it clearly had reached the point where his uh, colleagues in, in the Illinois House had, had believed that uh, new leadership was necessary. And has patronage really changed? You know, we've had some legal actions in the city and the state against political patronage, but pinstripe patronage has certainly been part of the replacement. Has patronage really changed much? Dramatically. There was a time when uh, Victor uh, had the spoils uh, and ended up with uh, all the benefits, all the jobs and contracts and whatever it might be. Those times changed dramatically. And some say for the better, it's taken politics uh, out of the old machine politics of the day. Uh, and instead, uh, we have a system with more civil servants, uh, non-political persons uh, who are serving. I think that is generally a positive. 
Uh, there are instances where I believe that if a person's elected, they should have the team they wanted uh, to implement the change they promised. Uh, and we may go, have gone too far in individual cases, but on balance, I think it's been a good thing to change patronage. And as I retire, Dick, I should ask you if you're having any you know, thoughts about retiring after this term or before then, what are your thoughts? Bill, I look, I look at this as an opportunity now. Uh, I, we described at the beginning of the program, the infrastructure program, uh, as well as changes that are going to help uh, working families across our state. I'm gratified to be part of it. Uh, you know, I measure this with my wife on a regular basis. No assumptions as to the future one way or the other at this point, but I'll face it honestly. I just want to say thanks. I'm very grateful to all you elected officials who have given me time on the Sunday shows to let you explain why you're doing what you do. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Thank you so much. Well, you're the best. Going to miss you. That's Dick Durbin. He's the senior senator from Illinois. After a break, our Connected to Chicago Roundtable with Lynn Sweet, Ray Long, Greg Hines, and Heather Sharon. Well, conspicuously absent from this Durban interview is the senator's take on the fall of Afghanistan. That's because Afghanistan fell after our interview on August 13th. Durban did share his take on the fall of Afghanistan on the 17th. The Taliban conquered nine provincial capitals in 13 days. No one saw that coming. I didn't, and those who briefed us didn't. We were trying to have an orderly evacuation of Americans, of those who have been loyal to us throughout this battle, and circumstances overwhelmed us. We have spent dearly in Afghanistan over 20 years. Start with the number 2,448. 2,448 men and women wearing the uniform of the United States gave their lives in Afghanistan. Over 20,000, over 20,000 came away with serious injuries. A trillion dollars we spent in that country. And over 20 years, we tried to build up an Afghan security force of over 300,000 trained, equipped, uniformed, ready to defend their country. And when they were first challenged, within the last two weeks, they melted away. We cannot take on the responsibility of guaranteeing that they are going to fight for our values. We prepared them for it. We thought we prepared them well. But when the time came, they wouldn't stand their ground, and then their government left the country. I don't think anyone est estimated that was going to happen, and it has. And that's why we're in this terrible situation today. We know our highest priority. It's been stated by Senator Duckworth, and I agree completely. But beyond that, the future of Afghanistan belongs to the people of Afghanistan, and we've learned a valuable lesson. I'll close with this. Twenty years ago, when I voted, when I voted to invade Afghanistan, it was for a stated purpose. It was months after 9-11. We had lost 3,000 innocent Americans. They told us Osama bin Laden was there with al-Qaeda. And the question is, were we going to go in and get him? And I voted for it, and I'd do it again to stop that madman with what he did to the United States. But staying beyond that purpose has cost us dearly as a nation. I have great pride with the men and women who served in our military and those, all those who helped them. They've done remarkable things in the name of fighting for our country and its values. But I'm not going to hold Joe Biden responsible for the Afghan security forces disappearing in the battle. We cannot and should not take their place. 
This is Connected to Chicago with Bill Cameron. A look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. Now, Bill Cameron. Time for the roundtable where we just get to tell the truth with Lynn Sweet of the Sun-Times. Hey, Lynn. Hi, everyone. Ray Long at the Tribune. Hey, Ray. The honor is mine. Greg Hines of Cranes. Hey, Greg. Hey, Bill. And happy birthday to Heather Sharon of WTTW. Hey, Heather. Hey, Bill. Thanks so much. Well, gang, this is my final occasion hosting Connected to Chicago with you because I'm retiring. It has been great fun and a true honor and a privilege to join with each of you each week just to tell the truth. And, and Ray, we've told a lot of truth, haven't we? Oh, man, I tell you what, uh, that's what we specialize in. That's what we do. And that's what you have really given us a great model to follow. Um, You're a true, true newsman, and uh, you have shown us over the years how to to keep pushing and keep keep swinging for the truth and keep catching the truth and and feeding it out to the people i really can't say enough about you bill it's it's just like i said at the beginning an honor to work with you on this show and to uh, have stood shoulder to shoulder with you on many news events over the years and to be in the same press corps uh, at City Hall with you over the years, too. It's just an amazing run you've had, and we're just all so so proud of you. And I I want to pile on, if I – may I, or should I wait a moment before I pile? (laughs) So, Bill, you also show the importance – there are two things why you're so important and and why your retirement is is the end of an era – you have institutional memory, and so many people do not, and that is important in context. And also, and you don't know this, you really taught me the lesson of the beauty of asking a simple question. We were at a debate years and years ago. You were a panelist uh, to Harold Washington, and you simply asked, what is your tax pledge? Oh, yeah. And whatever the answer was was incredibly newsworthy, and... It was just an example to me of how important it is to make a question and not a speech. And I have tried to carry on with that example up until this day. Then you taught me that. I've always thought a couple of things are really, really important. One is to keep the keep the question short so you don't give the politician time to build a lie for his answer. And the other is just to be fair. You know, if you're just fair to the people you cover, you'll get access, and that's why we've had so many, uh, so much access to the leading politicians on this show over the years. Looking back, I'm not sure a lot of big things have changed for the good during the half century on the beat. Gun violence is causing more misery. Too many politicians just keep stealing, and civility is worse than ever. Greg, do you think much has changed? You know that's a, that's a that's a hard question to answer, Bill. Um, Chicago itself has changed. This is a different city. Um, uh, it the composition is mixed uh, uh, more than it was. Uh, the the uh, the economics and educational levels are different. Uh, this was a blue collar town once upon a time. Now it's increasingly a white collar town. Uh, and if you and if you don't 
get can't get that kind of job, you're going to have economic problems. Um, there is one of the more troublesome things, and you referenced it, is that uh, there's something in the water that the political class just hasn't been able to figure out yet. That you can't be a crook. That you got to go into this business kind of for the right business, which is the right reason, which is to serve people, and not for the reason of serving yourself in your own pocketbook. Uh, uh, you know. There's, I don't think there's been a year, more a stretch of more than a year, throughout your tenure, and, and unfortunately, probably into the into the coming future, where we don't see politicians go down for he had his hand in the cookie jar, she did this, uh, somebody paid for all their campaign expenses with public money. Um, uh, yes, the, the 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 racial thing is is terrible and the subject probably for for a much longer different discussion. But what troubles me the most is, is this legacy of corruption, because uh, it just, it just, if we can't trust your your public officials to do the right thing, you can't solve your core problems. That's just fundamental. Even when they know the feds are probably listening. How about you, Heather? What's uh, what's been the big change, if any, in the last half century? Even though you haven't been on the beat that long. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it has truly been one of the, the greatest honors of my career to sit on this panel with you and with everybody who has such a, a long history. And I can certainly say that I, too, learned how to ask questions at press conferences, short and sweet, by, by watching you work. And um, we all stand on your shoulders, those of us coming uh, coming up through the ranks. But, uh, you know, you said it right at the top of the beginning. you got to be fair and you've got to, you know, just, you know, tell the truth. And I think if we keep doing that, maybe politicians will pick up on that, you know, crime is more trouble than it's worth. But we've got three sitting aldermen under indictment at this moment. So I guess I'm, I'm not optimistic. And, Heather, you had a great story this week about Alderman Carrie Austin, one of those who's been indicted, and the spending of her committee. Tell folks about that. Well, she had she spent nearly two hundred thousand dollars in 2020, met only three times. uh, And this committee, which was designed to oversee contracting equity, really didn't didn't advance any substantive piece of legislation. And perhaps more egregiously, the committee has not met once so far in 2021. And that has stalled consideration of the city's extension of the contracting set aside program, which is designed to help firms owned by Black, Latino, Asian, and female Chicagoans. About 24 hours after my story published, though, they scheduled the hearing on that very issue. So I, I guess uh, the... Strictly the a coincidence, Heather. Strictly a coincidence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, you may remember this. I remember when uh, Mayor Daley appointed Carrie Austin to be an alderman to succeed uh, her late husband, Lem Austin. And uh, she had been a member of Tony Lorino, another indicted alderman, of his uh, city council committee. So in a quick question, I asked Carrie, what were your duties for uh, Tony Lorino's committee? And she froze <laughs> and had no answer. Remember that, Greg, or were you in the room? You no, know, I, I I do remember that, Bill. And unfortunately, we can uh, uh, we can we can all remember uh, stories like that. Uh, remember uh, there once was this fresh-faced alderman named Pat O'Connor who was believed to have uh, be a future possibility for high office, and uh, uh, all of a sudden he got caught in a job training. Uh, scandal with other aldermen where he was hiring their relatives and they were hiring his and it, 
he eventually had a pretty good city council career, but he could never run for anything else higher than that. Um, you know, and that's kind of our role here. Uh, the, heaven, heaven help us if we didn't have the U.S. Attorney's Office to keep people honest. But uh, all of us, and Bill, you were certainly in the lead of that, have, have kind of developed the Chicago Press Corps has a reputation of uh, of treating everybody the same in, in politics, and that's Democrat, Republican, conservative, or liberal. We're going we're gonna to hold you up to the public light and see if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, Rich Dale had a wonderful phrase for that, which he used to use Bill in one of your, uh, one of your setups. He said, well, well you're scrutin' me all the time. <laughs> uh, and, and, and it's true. That's 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 our job. And uh, much as I don't want to see you go, and much as I don't want to see any of us go, uh, there are legions of younger reporters there, like Heather, come up behind us. So I think I've learned the lesson and figured out what to do. So, so true. Uh, one of your big stories, Ray, of course, is the ComEd uh, bribery scandal. And this week the feds were in court telling the judge that at this time, they have no more information on a superseding indictment, uh, further indication that maybe uh, former Speaker Mike Madigan is in the clear. What do you think? Well, they also are not saying that the grand jury is over. So they've, they've been working for months to try to, to uh, put together cases. But uh, we keep hearing about things like uh, lawmakers or prior lawmakers going in and testifying to the grand jury. But um, has there been something that has bubbled up? No. And all of Madigan's uh, acolytes and and fans uh, all will say this is a sign that they don't have him. And uh, that is uh, uh, an idea that keeps getting uh, floated around among uh, politicians and lawyers, et cetera, um, and, you know, there may be nothing to get. That's the other thing. He has uh, roundly denied any wrongdoing over the years, but clearly they have been in his orbit. And uh, the uh, status hearing this week with some of the defendants in the ComEd case, including his longtime friend Michael McLean, a former lawmaker and a lobbyist for ComEd, um, now have a trial date next year to look forward to. Lynn, we lost a war this week, the one in Afghanistan, and uh, President Biden is having a difficult time trying to make it look like something that is not a political vulnerability. Do you think it is for him? If this, uh, I just want to separate out that the public was with the president and saying we want to get U.S. military out of Afghanistan, where he lost was the chaotic, messy, and surprising uh, collapse, surprising to the Biden administration, swift collapse of the uh, remnants of the government there. And the jury, I think, for the moment is out on how damaged Biden is. He is damaged. So I think the question is how damaged with the issue not being getting out, which 20 years is a long time. Our 9-11 anniversary is coming up. But leaving Americans behind in this chaotic state, having to send more troops in, not getting out the translators and others who, who helped the U.S., even though it's been talked about for months, it is, it, it is just stunning at the missteps that the Biden administration made in the question of how do we make an exit. 
that is on the, uh, on the, the uh, political issue. On the Park District scandal regarding the lifeguards and the charges of sexual harassment, Heather, do you think that uh, General Superintendent Mike Kelly has, uh, so to speak, put the pin back in the grenade with his reforms? Well, he certainly tried to by holding a press conference and announcing that two um, upper management people had been terminated because of their role, along with really dozens of other employees who were somehow related, although not directly implicated in the scandal. But I think that got a whole lot harder a couple days later when the, the Park District's inspector general resigned, saying that he had been thwarted in his attempt to fully fully investigate what had happened, not only by um, Mark Kelly, but also by um, uh, Mayor Lightfoot. So that is going to give this scandal increasing life. And um, it's just one of those things where the city had a duty to protect children. Let's let's not forget these are our teenage girls who are our children um, and did not do so. And now appears to be some level of trying to cover it up. And you and I both know there's nothing that we like better than digging our hands into a, a cover up, especially when people, children were at risk. So there's more to come on this. Greg, what do you think? Is is Mike Kelly going to survive this? You know, that's a really good question, Bill. Um, he uh, uh, it took him eighteen months to uh, to do anything about this in terms of of, of uh, taking people out of the line. I mean, it looks like eighteen months after their first complaint that uh, improprieties were occurring here and when and young girls were being uh, mistreated, that uh, the people in charge. Got to work two full seasons. Uh, uh, last year was abbreviated, but certainly this season was just about over when they finally announced this. Um, I find that really troubling. Um, uh, there's something about Kelly's uh, operational style I find a little troubling too. I did a, I did a story uh, that went up today about uh, the Block Club Chicago broke the story earlier in the week about the, these Amazon lockers that all of a sudden have started showing up in the parks. Well, the backstory there is that is that uh, without going to the board and without really running this by anybody, Kelly decided to give Amazon permission to install these lockers in exchange for giving the partnership some money. It looks like they make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and they're trying to come back and say oh uh, forget that that that, that, that big uh, that big ugly thing that uh, right in the middle of the bike path this is convenient for people people are demanding no more spots to pick up their amazon stuff and that's the only reason we did it and we didn't have to take it by the board because we weren't spending money uh we were just taking money in and i don't think so um and There's clearly a qualitative difference between uh, letting Amazon in the park and not dealing with the subordinates who are sexually harassing people in a timely manner. Uh, But I do think there are some questions here about his leadership that need to be addressed. Right. And I think that those Amazon lockers, you know, the CTA board uh, voted to extend the uh, Amazon lockers it had on uh, CTA property as an experiment. So the idea that. Right. They voted, they considered it. So why couldn't his board do it? Yeah. Let me Here just take it back to the sexual harassment issue. There is no way it should have taken this long to get to the to uh, this type of of resolution. And uh, when it takes this long, you have to question whether there is a serious approach to trying to resolve uh, sexual harassment issues. And um, a lot of people still have that question coming out of this uh, situation. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and Ray, you've been reporting among the first in Illinois and Me Too, and you would think by now that elected public officials and their uh, subordinates, like this one, their appointees, would get the message, but but they apparently haven't. It's been a privilege and an honor. Good luck to all of you, and put in the cades of uh, great reporting for everybody out there. I'm going to continue to share my thoughts about politics on Twitter, at Bill J. Cameron, and, you know, it's been a great run. Thanks, gang. Thank you, Bill. We'll miss Thanks, you. Thanks, Bill. Good luck to you, buddy. Up next, Kim Gordon. This is Connected to Chicago. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. Joining me today is spokesperson Beth Kaufman to discuss a new pilot program that will go into effect in September and hopefully alleviate the heavy load. Beth, welcome to Connected to Chicago. Kim, thanks so much for having me. Uh, we're glad you're here. So what kind of volume are you looking at? How, how many people are waiting to get licenses, ID cards, the things they need? Well, as you know, expiration dates were pushed back by Secretary of State Jesse White to January of 2022, so people don't have to rush in. However, those expirations we're estimating are approximately a million people. So that's the kind of numbers we're looking at in terms of who needs to come in and get their license ID card renewed. And so you were starting a new pilot program in September that's going to try to um, alleviate this problem. Why don't you tell me about that? Yes, we're expanding. As as you know, we already have a few facilities that offer appointments, and Secretary White will be expanding the number of those facilities in the Chicagoland area so that people who do need to come in and get their driver's license can do so. And those people, the ones who have to come into the facility, would be new drivers, drivers who are newly trying to get their real ID, and senior drivers, 75 and older, who must take the road exam, as well as those people who may have a driver's license issue that they need to come into the facility. So those are the people who must come into the facility. Okay, and so and we're know- expanding appointments for people who need to come into the facility. Okay, and how do you schedule an appointment? You'll be able to go to our website at CyberDriveIllinois.com to schedule an appointment at one of the facilities under Facility Finder. So they'll be able to do those every morning beginning in September at the expanded facility locations. Okay, and walk-ins not accepted at all or some areas, some places? There will be some facilities that do allow walk-ins, and so those facilities will be available for those people who do not have an appointment. Okay, and how will residents be notified when it's their time to renew? Residents are basically uh, sent a letter right now to tell whether they can renew or not, and that's a good point that you bring up. What's going to happen in terms of this alleviating of the volume plan is that Secretary White is expanding renewal, online renewal for many drivers, including safe drivers and online renewal for other drivers. Um, So, for example, if you were a safe driver, you could renew during a four-year cycle. Now that four-year cycle is expanded, so you could have a second cycle that you would be able to renew at. And then we're also opening up those renewals for individuals who maybe had a minor infraction on their license 
and who are still eligible to renew online. And Secretary White believes that will will eliminate about a million drivers out of the pool that need to or that were coming to the facility. Great. Well, Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Kim. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Matt Mellon for production assistance. I'm Bill Cameron, WLS News. Connected to Chicago with Bill Cameron, a production of WLS News. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.